God, thank you so much for this beautiful day, for the wonderful fall weather, for all my brothers and sisters here that you've blessed this house with all these wonderful people. We're so grateful, God, just for the opportunity to be in your presence gathered here. Many people don't have that opportunity. We just want to take a moment to say thank you. And Lord, we just we come here with the the sole purpose this morning, right now, just to glorify you, to lift you up, to love on you. So we ask God that you would help us to fix our eyes on you, to lay aside any distractions from our day, from our week, month, or year. Lord, that you would help us just to narrow our gaze just on you, Jesus, this morning. We want to see you. We want to bless you with our songs, with our conversation, with our receiving of the word. God, I just ask that you would help us. Be with us. Every person here, Holy Spirit, would you comfort them? Would you just love on them? Help them to know that you see them. And you really are here with us. You're always here. This is a special opportunity for us to remember. We thank you for that. God, let me just ask that you would bless this time. Amen. Let's sing these truths this morning. From the word of God, we shall sing.
Jesus is waiting. God so loved the world. Amen. Perfect morning to sing that song. We'll be taking communion later. Let's remember those words. But for now, I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 55, I think. I'm reading from Isaiah. <laughs> it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. It says, Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Amen. This is the God that we worship this morning. Amen. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Satisfied 
world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me. Wonderful name. 
you to continue playing for us this morning as we enter into a time of prayer and reflection. And um, as I do every Sunday, I just try to kind of open myself up to, um, well, as, I, as we enter a time of prayer, I, I begin thinking about that as we're singing, and I just try to open myself up to what I think the Lord is really inviting us to as we approach a time of prayer. Um, sometimes it is the Lord. I do believe it's the Lord. Sometimes maybe it's just what stands out to me. Uh, I pray that those two intersect often, but this morning um, I just feel that we are being invited, as in that first song, as we sang in that first song, to come 
all you weary, all of you tired, all of you who are broken, and just lay your burdens down at the foot of the cross. And we are being invited to step out and do that. And you can certainly do that at your seats. There's nothing magical or powerful um, about coming to the altar. It sometimes is powerful, but it's not like it's going to uh, be the only thing that makes God want to move is us coming to the altar. However, I do think there is something beautiful about stepping out. Stepping out in, in faith and, and coming before and physically bowing down. Imagining that you are at the foot of the cross. I think that can do something really incredible as we approach a time of prayer. And so if you feel compelled to do that this morning, you are certainly invited and welcome. I pray that you would draw near to Jesus in these moments and that the power of the Holy Spirit would fall freshly upon you this morning as you step out, as you invite him to speak into your life. Let's pray. Come all you weary. Come all of you who are broken. Come before God this morning and know that he is going to meet you with power and mercy and love and grace. God, as we come before you this morning, we thank you, God, that we are invited into your presence. We are invited to rest and dwell in your presence as we anticipate how you want to meet us and what it is you want to speak to us. God, I have to imagine that there are many in this place who do feel weak and weary. God, I, I have to believe that there are many in our midst who are experiencing just an incredible amount of grief and pain, whether it's because of something that's happened personally or maybe they're carrying that for someone else. God, I would imagine that there are many in our midst today or watching online from at home who don't have a, a reason really why they feel so tired and weary, but they just do. God, whatever the case may be, maybe some of us, maybe some of us, things are going well, but we just hunger for more of you. We hunger and thirst for more of you because, God, if we're honest, we would say that we can't get enough of you. We don't want to get enough of you, God. We long and thirst for more. So, God, I pray that you would draw near. Draw near to each and every person. 
And God, would you meet them in such a unique and powerful way this morning? Holy Spirit, we open ourselves up to to you and we listen. We listen for your voice to comfort, to encourage, to bring peace, to give guidance. God, we wait. God, maybe this morning some of us are feeling moved to confess something before you. God, maybe your Holy Spirit is revealing something about us to us that isn't pleasing to you or something that is becoming a hindrance in our lives, something that is causing us more grief and pain than we need. Maybe it's something that's causing others grief and pain. God, we open ourselves up. We invite you to examine our hearts. God, we invite you to see every part of us, every part of our hearts, and to reveal to us what needs to go. Confession and examination is painful. It's uncomfortable. But God, we know that it's necessary. God, we thank you that when we come before you and when we recognize something within us that is not pleasing to you, when we see the error in our ways, God, I thank you that we don't have to walk away carrying guilt and shame, but that we can receive freely your mercy and your forgiveness. We can repent and, and, and surely, God, we can turn through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can turn and go in the opposite direction, walking toward a life that is holy and pleasing to you, God, a life that you've called us to live. Let us not forsake the call to live a life that is holy and pleasing to God. would you just give us that desire this morning if it's not there? God, we thank you that this helps us to live a life that flourishes. God, this is what helps us to live a full and abundant life. It's only through your power and your grace. 
God, we thank you for meeting here with us, for waiting here for us. God, I pray that as we open up your word, that you would speak to us, that you would reveal your nature to us. Would you make it known to us so that, so that we can know you better, so that we can see you clearly and know how you are calling us to respond. God, would you anoint these words? Holy Spirit, would you speak what it is that we need to hear? God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for who you are to us this morning. And it's all in all God's people said in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, I am going to invite you to stand with us as we open up the word of God. We are almost there. The end is in sight as we are going through the Gospel of Luke, and this morning we are going to be looking from Luke chapter 18. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, as I said, we are continuing to press on through the gospel of Luke. Uh, and we see that in the midst of the gospel of Luke, as we open ourselves up to the life and teachings of Jesus, that there have been many parables. And especially lately, we have been reading and, and drawing from the many parables that Jesus uses to teach uh, to his listeners. And, and I, have, I have mentioned this before, that I think it's important to highlight that when we open ourselves up to the parables of Jesus, we are opening ourselves up to a very particular way that he is teaching those who are listening to him. 
right? And we have to be respectful and understanding that, that this was a very popular and particular way that Jewish teachers would teach, including and especially Jesus. And he is trying to teach something maybe new to his listeners, but he's using examples or stories that would be familiar to them. In other words, he's using stories, he's telling stories, and while they may not be true, they're going to touch and reach those who he's speaking to. And so when we open ourselves up to the parables, it's important that we understand right, the context in which they were written, the context in which Jesus was speaking, and we have to be careful not to add to them or take away from them. And I've tried to help us to be mindful of this, um, especially lately as we've read some pretty challenging parables, and a lot of those we draw some pretty um, specific beliefs from, right? And, and sometimes those aren't maybe always the most helpful. And so I just want us to, re to remember that as we approach these parables um, to, to be respectful of them and to understand who Jesus is speaking to and what it is he's trying to communicate. And then we, modern readers, modern listeners, um, can open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit who will reveal to us what God is saying for us here today, because this is his living word, right? This is his living word that is useful for the people of God, even now, even today. So back to this parable that we are reading this morning, which by the way, is unique to the gospel of Luke. So this week's parable and next week's parable are both unique to the gospel of Luke. You're not gonna see these parables in the other gospels. And in this parable today, we have this scene, and depicted in this scene is that of a widow and an unjust judge who obviously is standing in contrast to a very just God. Amen? This parable directly follows the passage that we looked at last week. And so if you have your Bibles or your Bible app open, you can maybe flip back to chapter 17 and just kind of refresh your memory on what we talked about last week. We looked at that passage at the end of chapter 17, but keep in mind we were only focusing on verses 20 and 21. Right Last week, we, we were talking about how Jesus has just declared that the kingdom of God is at hand. He was in instructing the Pharisees and the disciples. He's warning them, don't look for specific signs. Don't look for specific things that some people might say, but instead understand and recognize that the kingdom of God is here and now, and it is to come. And last week, we talked about how because of this truth, we then are to look for the signs of life that are indeed all around because the kingdom of God does continue to break in here and now. And we talked about how we, the people of God, are called to participate in what God is doing here and now rather than just sitting on the sidelines waiting to be whisked away into heaven. Right? You remember that? And there was part of that passage last week in Luke 17 that we did not read. But in this passage, Jesus describes some very unnerving things that will take place when the Son of Man comes again. 
And we can imagine that this startles the disciples in some way. That's not necessarily indicated in the text, but I think that at times it's important to recognize the humanity of the disciples who are following Jesus and still very unsure about what is to come, and they're feeling overwhelmed and confused because how could they not be? Right, And so we, we sympathize with that and we lean into that a little bit and understand that this must have made the disciples maybe feel just a little bit anxious because Jesus uses particular language. This is all important to where we're going, okay? Jesus uses particular language. He says that the day, that the son of, the day of the Son of Man is going to be similar to the days of Noah or similar to the days of Sodom right? So will be the day that the Son of Man returns. And, and anyone who understands the days of Noah, who has read about those days leading up to, to the ark and to the flood, and anyone who understands what was happening during the time of the story of Sodom, that brings some startling images to mind, right? And so that's going to likely cause you to feel like just a little bit unsure and maybe a little bit nervous or anxious about what is to come. And so we have to imagine that Jesus understands this. I would imagine that Jesus understands that the disciples are likely feeling slightly anxious. And we also understand that, that as we are nearing the end of the book of the Gospel of Luke, we also we understand that Jesus is getting closer and closer to the cross Right, And his teachings seem to be uh, increasingly challenging as he gets closer and closer to the cross. And so I would imagine that Jesus, knowing that, knowing that these teachings feel weighty and challenging and difficult and, dare we say, sometimes impossible, he, he intentionally gives them these words and this story to encourage them. And I love that he does that as we might sense that the disciples are feeling maybe a little bit anxious as they hear these things, maybe they're asking questions, questions that you and I ask, questions that I have to believe you and I ask, questions like, Jesus, how do we continue with this long, hard work of waiting for the fullness of the kingdom of God to come? Jesus, how do we carry on on the hardest days? How do we keep going as we wait for you to make all things right and new once and for all? Or Jesus, what are we to do in the meantime when things get really, really difficult? How do we find the strength to carry on? Because remember, one of the things we recognized last week is the truth that just because we believe that the kingdom of God is here and now, which Jesus says it is, that doesn't mean that we don't long and grieve and lament, right? Scripture encourages these things. We certainly do wonder, what do we do when it feels impossibly difficult? What do we do when we feel like evil has won or is winning? What do we do when this journey becomes unbearably heavy and hard? Jesus, surely understanding the angst the disciples may have felt, he tells this parable about what the waiting might feel like 
And the parable communicates the importance of, in the midst of feeling these things and having these questions, that there's this importance of always praying and never giving up hope, right? So I imagine that Jesus is essentially saying, all of this hardship considered, don't stop praying, don't give up hope. All this pain you endure while you wait, don't stop praying and don't give up hope. All of these impossibly difficult moments you will face ahead, don't stop praying, don't give up hope. In the midst of of all of the trials that you face and the injustices that you face and that you see, don't stop praying, don't give up hope. Because a very just God hears you and will respond with justice and mercy and love. And so he tells a story to communicate to his listeners what he's trying to say and the truth of God to be be heard and to be learned. He tells this interesting story with, can I say, some interesting character choices, right? We have this judge, and Jesus has already given us the details that this is a judge who doesn't fear God, and he doesn't care what people think. He doesn't care what people think. He just does whatever he pleases, right? And if we hadn't received that information from Jesus, we might be tempted to judge the judge, unfairly judge this judge. But Jesus has already given us details to help us understand what kind of person this judge is. And you need to understand that a judge during this time, similar to today, but also a little different, the judge was the end-all be-all. And if a person had a problem or a wrong that needed to be right, they didn't call the police or the authorities. They went to a judge. They brought their case before a judge, and that judge was the authoritative voice. And like anything, and like this can happen to anyone, judges, as you imagine, could easily become corrupt. Right? And certainly in this day, judges could easily become corrupt, accepting bribes, and working for those who don't have the best interest of widows in mind, but maybe working for those who are looking to exploit people like widows, who absolutely represents the least of these, of her society. And certainly this unjust judge does not care what a widow would think, right? And so we have this widow, And like I said, I think Luke, again, we know that this is true to the character of Luke and to his writing, to his writings, that that this widow absolutely must represent the least of these in her society. But here's something I want us to be mindful of. I think anytime we read about a widow, it's easy for us to just have in mind this picture of this little old lady who's weak and wobbly Right, But we need to understand and remember that this is a different time. And not only did children marry, or people married when they were still practically children, but they didn't always live as long. And so this widow could have easily been 40 or 50, maybe even as young as 30 years old. The point is, don't automatically assume that this is a, a, a weak, wobbly, old, bent-over widow, right? This could be... This woman, this widow, could be of any age. And I just have to say that as I read through this story, 
And as I sat with this story and as I tried to understand more about who this widow may have been and and what she must have been like, and as I made myself more familiar with the, the original Greek language and the context, I have to tell you that I am blown away by this woman's audacity and strength and stubborn perseverance. Because the things she did are unheard of for her time. Walking up into a, a, I assume, a courtroom and approaching a judge, do you know how unacceptable this was for a woman? Doesn't matter how young or old she is, it doesn't matter what kind of woman she is, this would have been unacceptable behavior. And yet, according to this story, we're led to believe that she does it not once, but many times. She doesn't quit. She doesn't leave this judge alone. And I am just blown away by her strength and perseverance. I can't help but wonder. You might not like my take on this, and that's okay. But I cannot help but wonder if maybe... Maybe Jesus intended for us to not see this woman as a weak, wobbly, bent-over widow. But I wonder, I can't help but wonder if Jesus intended for this woman to be seen as a force to be reckoned with as she fights for justice, whether for herself or for someone else. I want you to hear me out. Because we need to understand the language that's being used, that Jesus uses, that Jesus uses intentionally and carefully to communicate a message, a particular message. If we're going to be faithful to the text and to the language, then we need to understand that this judge is not just annoyed by this woman, although he clearly is. Right? That's in the language, and I'm sure that that's true, that, that he is becoming annoyed with this woman, But the original Greek language, and the NIV NIV is pretty faithful to this. There's other translations that don't really include this as much. But the NIV is pretty faithful to, to helping us understand that this judge is a little bit fearful of this woman. He's not just annoyed by her, but he's somewhat fearful. The Greek word that I'm not even going to try to pronounce to you that is used literally means, it reads, to strike under the eye, to bruise, to to bruise severely, to harass, to exhaust, and yes, even to annoy. You mean to tell me that a judge, a strong man in his society is afraid of a little weak bent over widow? What is happening here? And I have to tell you that I had to really sit with that for a while. Recognizing the language that is used, that this judge is fearful that this widow, this woman might hurt him, might physically hurt him. I had to sit with that as I reconcile that, the language that is used with Jesus' nature, which is very much nonviolent, right? And and I had to sit with that and I had to really ask, what are we to take away from this. And I think this is a good time for an important reminder 
that not only is Jesus known for speaking parabolically, but he's also known to speak hyperbolically, and that we aren't necessarily to take these things literally. We aren't necessarily to draw from this passage that, well, violence is sometimes necessary in the face of injustice. I'm not communicating that. I'm not sure. I don't think that's what we're supposed to take away. However, the message that I do see, it's different although it's incredibly powerful, I cannot help but wonder if instead of viewing this woman in this story as a meek, weak, bent-over little widow, I can't help but wonder if Jesus wants us to see a strong, persevering fighter of justice who knows that her God is nothing like this unjust judge but instead he stands in stark contrast of one. He always works for the good of his people and for those who are forgotten, abused, oppressed, mistreated, ignored, victimized, and neglected. And he works to bring justice for these and for those who continue the long, hard, tiring work of the kingdom, looking for signs of life, those who are working for justice and redemption for all, and perhaps we are to receive from this woman that we can push on knowing that this is the God we know and serve, and he will not let us down. As I was thinking about all of these things this week, I couldn't help but think of a very timely example that I've come across in my own life personally this example of of what fighting for justice looks like. And I am way far behind on reading this book. I'm, I'm sad to say that I am just now reading this fabulous book that you may have heard of. If you've read it, you understand what I mean when I say that it is both incredible and incredibly sad all at the same time. And if you haven't read it, I could not recommend it more. Maybe you've seen the film. It was made into a major motion picture The book is called Just Mercy, and the author is is lawyer Brian Stevenson. And the book highlights just some of the important work that he has done since becoming a lawyer at 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 a young age. Brian's work has largely consisted of fighting the death penalty, but particularly fighting the death penalty for those who receive it who are innocent but just don't have the right people to fight for them and to prove their innocence. But he's also working to change death penalty laws that, are, that have been in place recently and are still currently in place that allow children to be tried and convicted as adults. I was in a book club recently, and that's how I read this book. And and this past week, I got to be a part of a Zoom call with the author, Brian Stevenson. There were like 3,000 other people on the call, so it wasn't that, you know, important or special. But it was still really meaningful for me as I sat and just listened to him. And, And by the way, he is the most humble person. I just have to say that sometimes when we think of, of a person who's fighting for justice, we think of, of people who are angry and people who have the wrong kind of mission in mind, but not Brian. He is the most humble man, and he does some incredibly challenging work. And I was encouraged as I listened to 
the stories of the hard work that he and those who work for the Equal Justice Initiative, all this hard work that they have done as they are seeking to help and advocate for those who, as I said, have been wrongly condemned and those who are trapped in the furthest reaches of our criminal justice system. Recently, I heard someone describe Brian as being a civil rights leader of our day today, and I could not agree more. And as I read through this book, I cried so many times, and that doesn't happen very easily. I don't know which story was the most devastating as I read through this book. I don't know. It may have been the main story that you read, the kind of the main person that he follows throughout the most of the book, Walter McMillan, an innocent man who was put on death row for a crime that he did not commit. Maybe it was the story of Anthony Hinton, another innocent man who was put on death row for a crime he didn't commit. And it wasn't until 30 years later, because of the work of Brian and his people, his team, that they were able to free and prove, prove his innocence and free him. It may have been the story of the mentally ill war veteran who was executed for involuntary manslaughter. But without a doubt, one of the most devastating was the story of George Steiny, a 14-year-old black boy who was executed by the state of South Carolina, and he was the youngest child sentenced to death in the U.S. You see, three months before George was executed, two young white girls who lived in a town nearby had gone missing And people across the community came together, naturally, to search for the little girls. And George and his siblings joined the search party. And at one point during the search, George mentioned to one of the white adult searchers that he and his sister had actually seen the girls earlier that day, that the girls had approached them asking where they could find flowers. And the dead bodies of the little girls were found the next day in a nearby ditch, George was immediately arrested for the murders because he admitted to seeing the girls before they disappeared. He was subjected to hours of interrogation without his parents or an attorney present. The local sheriff claimed that George had confessed to the murders even though there was no written or signed statement presented. A month later, a trial was convened And 14-year-old George sat alone in the front row of an estimated crowd of 1,500 white people because naturally, African-Americans wouldn't be allowed inside this courthouse. And George's white court-appointed attorney, a tax lawyer with political aspirations, called no witnesses. The only evidence that was presented was the sheriff's testimony regarding the alleged confession. The trial was over in a few hours. The all-white jury deliberated for 10 minutes before convicting George of rape and murder. The judge promptly sentenced the 14-year-old boy to death, and there was no appeal because the family didn't have the money to pay for it. And despite appeals from the NAACP and black clergy who asked that the sentence be converted to at least life imprisonment. The governor of South Carolina at that time refused to intervene, and George was sent to be executed in South Carolina's electric chair. Years later, rumors surfaced that a white man from a prominent family 
confessed on his deathbed to killing these girls. And just so you know, I have removed the most sickening and disturbing parts of this story because it's too hard to tell. This is just one of the many examples of the kind of people that Brian and his team serve, making sure that they are treated fairly and with mercy as he fights for those who cannot fight for themselves in the face of legitimate injustice. See, I could be wrong, but I think that this is what this woman is supposed to represent in this story. Someone who stands in the gap. Someone with stubborn perseverance and an undying faith to keep going, to not give up, and to not lose hope, even though it feels hopeless. Knowing that our God is just, and he is good, and he will exercise goodness and justice as he sees fit. And so until then, we work, and we are called, by the way, to work and to be those who stand in the gap, partnering with the Holy Spirit as we bring about this kind of justice that God seeks for his people. I think scholar David A. Neal says appropriately and accurately, discouragement and fatigue is at times the right way to characterize the path of believers. Can we just acknowledge that? That sometimes we are so discouraged and so weary as we press on. But from what I can tell, this passage gives us permission to persistently cry out as we wait for the God of justice and the God of love and the God of mercy to continue bringing about his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That persistently, passionately, boldly, and loudly crying out as seen in this parable is welcomed and encouraged by God for the people of God. This God who stands in stark contrast with an unjust judge who will one day make all things right. And until then, we pray continuously. We don't give up hope. We pray that the Holy Spirit would sustain us and give us strength so that when the Son of Man returns, such faith can indeed be found among the people of God. I'm going to invite the praise team to come as we prepare for a time of reflection and response. And I'd like to invite you to pray with me. God, as we open up, as we open ourselves up to your Holy Spirit, God, I pray that you would just continue to communicate to us what your vision is for us, the people of God. And God, we simply acknowledge today that stories like that 
of George Steiny are devastating and heartbreaking. And they are still happening even today. And God, rather than this being a controversial thing, rather than this being a a political issue, God, may we push all of that aside and recognize that these are the kind of things that concern a just and merciful and loving God who very much cares for those who are cast aside because they are seen as unimportant, unreliable, and whose lives don't seem to be worth fighting for. God, I simply pray this morning that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and embolden us as we seek to be people who stand in the gap for others like this woman in this story, that we would continue to do the long, hard work of seeking justice and good for all of God's people. God, we recognize that we absolutely need your strength to sustain us when the journey is long and sad and impossibly difficult. We love you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can stand. We're going to sing. As Pastor Nicole was sharing that, I was reminded of this verse I just wanted to share with you guys from Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. It says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong in the family of believers. Amen. May God give us the strength to not grow weary and to have the faith to believe in the harvest that we will reap if we continue. Amen. We're going to sing about this because we need his help. If we're going to do it, we can't do it on our own. Amen.
teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand I'll fall on you cause Jesus you're my hope and In chapter 22, we read that when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles were reclined at the table, and he says to his disciples, he says to them, I eagerly, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And as I thought about that last week, it it kind of struck me in a new and powerful way. As I thought about Jesus waiting and anticipating to partake of this meal again with us when all things are made right once and for all. When the kingdom of God finds its fulfillment On earth, as it is in heaven, Jesus is waiting in anticipation for that moment as we wait and anticipate that moment. While we are in the middle of a very difficult already and not yet, we hold on to these tangible reminders of grace. When you receive the bread and the cup, as you feel them and hold them in your hands today, I want to challenge you to really contemplate that you are holding and touching tangible reminders of God's goodness and grace that are given to the people of God for sustenance as we wait. As we wait for Jesus to give us what we so desperately long for and need. 
So let's pray. God, we pray that you would prepare our hearts this morning. That as we gather together around this table, as we like to say, when we walk forward to receive the bread and the cup, we are imagining that we are walking to a table together alongside one another, receiving what we need, the grace that you freely give us to help us to keep going, to pursue your love and your justice and your mercy. God, I pray that you, in only a way you can do, in the mysterious way that you do this, God, I pray that your, your mystery, the mystery of communion, that it would find us here again and that it would meet us in the middle and that it would, it would strengthen us again to go and to be the hands and feet of Jesus, which our world so desperately needs. Bless these elements, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask Bo to come and to help me this morning. And when your rows are dismissed, please come forward to receive the bread and the cup. And if anyone is unable to come forward, I'd like to ask you to raise your hand so I can bring these elements to you. Friends, the table is set and you are invited to come, hold on to your elements, and we will receive them together once everyone has been served. You may come.
On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he gathered around the table with his disciples and he took the bread and he gave thanks to God and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Friends, take and eat and be thankful. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying to them, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you for forgiveness of sins. Friends, may you take, drink, and be thankful. Amen. Let's sing these words together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. God's people said, amen, amen. Well, before we dismiss this morning, I just want to share a few quick announcements with you. Um, Just a reminder that for the rest of the month of October, we are going to continue to collect for the shoebox. We're almost finished with that. We're going to be packing those shoeboxes that we've been collecting for all year long in just a few weeks. Uh, But for the next few weeks, we'll still be collecting women's socks and uh, one subject, notebooks. Um, uh, Just a few announcements regarding the community garden, and just be, this is your warning, consider this your warning, that you are going to be hearing a lot about the community garden over the next several weeks and months, okay? And, And I'm having to like balance not throwing too much at you, but also recognizing that this is a good thing And we are excited to participate in this opportunity to go out of these walls and to to share in a new way with our neighbors. Amen. And so we are excited about this. And so just get ready. There's going to be 
many opportunities for you to participate, even if you're not officially on the garden committee, which is open to anyone, by the way. If you want to be, you can be. We need all the help we can get. Craig and Carla said yes, amen. And um, so you're all invited, but also if you're not uh, feeling led or able to be on the garden committee, you are still invited and encouraged to participate in some of the things that we're going to be doing. We hope that you'll at least prioritize some of those um, and come and participate. So one of those opportunities um, is coming up next Saturday. Next Saturday, October 22nd, um, we're going to meet here at 10 a.m. And we're going to simply go out into the neighborhood and just distribute flyers, which are letting our neighbors know about the open house that we are hosting a few weeks after, okay? Don't worry, this isn't going to be like any kind of knocking on doors and like trying to hear their life story. If that happens naturally, lean into it, but that's not the purpose. We're just simply distributing flyers, dropping them off so that our neighbors know what's coming, okay? And so those flyers will help, will hold details of um, November, let's see, what is that? Saturday, November 5th, right? Uh, here at the church, we're going to be hosting a community garden open house, if you will, where we are going to be able to share with our neighbors, those who are interested, um, all of our plans for the spring, and in, in hopes that if they're interested in participating, that we can kind of learn that ahead of time and just know what to expect when the spring comes in 2023. Um, and then we hope that they are going to get excited and want to participate. So that's kind of what we have coming up. I hope that you might plan to be at one of those two or both um, if you are able to, okay? Um, October 24th, that's a Monday here at the church. We're going to be having our, uh, what we call a zone rally. Um, there's no race cars or flags involved. That is simply our exciting way of talking about missions. It's exciting work. And, and so we are excited always to hear about the work of God across the globe. And so we um, are going to be hosting that. That happens typically two times a year. And so we're going to be hosting that, and it's a special treat for us, especially this year, because Dan and Janet Reinhart are going to be the speakers at that event. And so if you've ever been curious about the mission work that they've participated in, um, it's a lot. I think there's a lot more than, than we, what we even might know about, and so they're going to share in detail their story um, here at the church that Monday night. So mark your calendars for that. That starts at 6.30 p.m. I'm kind of going out of order here. Sorry, I'm trying to make sure I get it all. Lunch Bunch, October 26th at noon. That's going to be at Eckert's this month. And then Sunday, October 30th, we're going to have a potluck together. Um, the church is going to provide the chicken and the drinks. And Tina Cole is so graciously going to be providing desserts for us. We are very excited and thankful. Um, so if you all would plan to bring a side dish to share, you can sign up, I believe, out in the foyer for that. And finally, last but not least, this is a lot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you're overwhelmed. This is a lot, but it's all good. Uh, finally, we're going to be packing the shoeboxes, as I said earlier, here at the church with the homeschool group who, who leads that ministry. We're going to be gathering with them. Um, that's November 10th at 10.30 a.m. That is a weekday, so I understand that that means a lot of you won't be able to make it, but that we're just having to work with their schedule, and, and so that's the time that we landed on. So if you are available and can come, Please come and help us as we pack those shoeboxes. That is an exciting, fun day. And we play Christmas music and wear Christmas sweaters and we get in the spirit just a little bit early. So you won't be disappointed if you're able to come. And that's everything. 
or not. You guys really got to start giving me a heads up about this stuff. <laughs> I never know what's going on. No, we got a lot going on, but we don't want to neglect that this week we have a special day coming up for Pastor Nicole. It's her birthday, I believe, on Thursday, the 20th. Yeah. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. Okay, she had to yeah. think, about think about it for a second, but yeah. Um, I don't know what year it's going to be, and Dawn said I couldn't say it anyway, even if 25. I knew. It's okay. 25. Okay, 25. So... You're still younger than me, even though yes, that's a lot of, younger. Well, anyway, if we could. Here's a card. I'm 25. <laughs> <laughs> a card for you, and you. we could sing "Happy Birthday." Oh, Kevin, put you on the spot. Okay. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Pastor Nicole. Happy birthday to you and to Denise and Nikki who also celebrate their birthdays this week all right thank you thank you all so much all right if you will stand with me this morning I will share a benediction with you brothers and sisters in Christ may you go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ may you go And again, look for the signs of life that are all around you, and may you seek to work and to wait patiently for the Lord, praying continuously, not losing faith, not giving up hope, and he will go with you. You are dismissed. Have a great day. Mm.